All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to Let's Get Real podcast with Joseph KG. And what the purpose of this podcast, as most people know, and if you don't, is just to bring value to you as a listener, uh, value through people's stories, maybe some of our my experience. But I, what I mainly want is I want you to hear yourself and their stories. You know, you'll have different stories on here. Today, it's going to be an amazing story of hope and inspiration. So I'm actually fired up to bring it to you. Uh, whether you're driving in your car, you might be listening at home. Maybe you're laying in bed right now listening. But today, the purpose of it is just to bring you value, share some hope and inspiration, and hopefully you get in a little bit, even if it's one nugget, right after. So I'll stop talking, man. And today I'm excited because I got a buddy of mine, Aaron. Uh, he'll be sharing his story of hope and inspiration. Um, it'll be a lot of nuggets. We'll kind of get into just having a conversation. And uh, without further ado, man, I'll introduce you, brother. What's up, man? Good to see you. Hey. Good to be here, bro. You know, when I saw you post on Facebook that uh, you were you had this opportunity for whoever was interested, I was like, you know what, you know, I like you, and uh, I like giving back. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm plugged in now to this uh, sobriety and AA program, and uh, my life has taken off in, in an amazing direction. Getting super involved uh, with the fellowship and uh, and the community down here, so. However I can give back, I'm happy to do it. Absolutely, man. I've actually been kind of watching you a little bit in the rooms and in the program. Um, we kind of just met maybe even like a few months ago. But um, anytime I meet somebody, I'm always like following them on social media and, and seeing how they react to people that hang around. And, and when I watch you, bro, I just see you doing it. Yeah. I mean, every day you're out there. Somebody posts something. Hey, I need a speaker. You're like, let me go. Let me do. Let me surf. Um, and, and obviously with our stories, it wasn't always that way, right? <laughs> God, definitely not. Uh, I was always stuck in self, you know yeah. I mean? Shoes, gym, vehicle, you know what I mean? I was always uh, looking for something to still satisfy me. You know, I was from, from North Georgia. That's where I got sober at before. And I'm just talking to a buddy of mine named Perry, and he was like, hey, have you noticed a difference in sobriety from Jacksonville? Because that's where he's from, mm -hmm. uh, in North Georgia. I was just like, bro, it's, <laughs> it's, it's exponentially better down here because there's so much more to do, like – there's so much, so many more opportunities to serve and, and give back and expand your sobriety. Like if you can't stay sober here, <laughs> you're not trying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, there is. We're, we're grateful. I thought about that going back to Detroit one time. I was like six months sober and I went back to Detroit and trying to find a meeting. It was like 45 minutes away and then the meeting schedules weren't, it was just different. And yeah. here it's like you got one every hour. So we're lucky for that, man. But um, let, let's get right into it, man. Kind of tell us a little bit about you. You know, how you started, you know, obviously there's there's addiction in your story and, and how that led to, I mean, you're talking now about serving other people, but it wasn't always that way. And, and <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself and, and we'll get into it, man. Okay. Um, family background. Uh, my dad was, my dad has a completely different life path than I do. Um, he uh, grew up in upstate New York. He was like the leader of a gang. He was very, got in a lot of trouble, like fighting. Apparently he was some badass. I don't know. He threw a cop <laughs> off a bridge. There was, <laughs> there was water underneath it though, luckily. And the judge was tired of his crap. And he was like, you're either going to prison or you're going to Vietnam. And he was like, I'll go to Vietnam. So he went out there and he was a 50 caliber gunner when he was on the river in the Navy blowing people in half. You know uh -huh. what I mean? And he saw enough death and craziness over there to where... He want, he was ready to come back home. They asked him if he wanted to be a SEAL and stay. Cause, so that'll tell you. If you go over there, you know what I mean? You're normal, and they're like, hey, we want to keep you. Will you be a SEAL? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that'll tell, you, that'll tell you about him. And he was like, nah, man, I'm going home. So he went home, went back home to upstate New York, and uh, went to Cornell. And he finished a four-year degree in three and a half years. Wow. Jumped in with Traveler's Insurance. 
uh, and worked his way up from the bottom to the Eastern Regional Vice President of the Eastern Seaboard of Travelers Insurance Company. So he was laser focused on fire for it. For he had a vision, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and he worked his way to to get that. And he retired at fifty, and huh. he's like seventy. Yeah. That is not my story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, my mom was like PTA president, trophy wife, just like doing the thing, all about the kids. So if you think about it, you would think, okay, dad, high up executive, money. You know what I mean? Money was not an issue in my family as he was going up through the ranks. Mom, completely t- devoted wife and mother. You know what I mean? You would think picture perfect. But that's not that's not the case. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's character defects. There's trauma. There's all types of stuff going on within that. Um I have a brother, and uh, he remembers a lot more that was going on in childhood than I do. Yeah. Since we've gotten older, and he's a disaster. He's in jail right now. He's still a disaster, and <laughs> he's in addiction and all this stuff. Uh, uh, he was like, how do you not remember that? I'm like, bro, I don't know. What are you talking about? He's like, you were sitting right next to me when yeah. this happened or when this happened. How do you not know? I was like, so a lot of the stuff I've, blacked, I've blocked off. Yeah, selective memory. So that'll, that's, there's a lot of pain and trauma <clears throat> that is suppressed, okay? So we moved up and down the eastern seaboard as my dad was was raising rising through the ranks of travelers. But um, you know, like some of my early memories were uh, I remember at my birthday party and I was like five living in Orlando. I I dove in the shallow end of a pool and my dad called me inside and grabbed me by the hair of my head, picked me up off my feet, and slammed me into the wall and was like, Don't ever like dive into the shallow end of the pool. So right then that'll tell you my dad did not know how to process emotions. Yeah. Uh he was a hardened man, but he loved me, you know what I mean? But that was the type of discipline was like he wasn't like sit down and hey son, now let me explain to you what you did and why you shouldn't do that. It was do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. Um so that was kind of what I was used to growing up. Yeah. When my dad was around, which was rare he was very secluded and doing his own thing. And yeah, military. Exactly. Hardened him. Yeah, military hardened him. And he really didn't. His parents were good. But obviously, it's it's learned. You know, as we learn and grow, we understand that our parents, it's just their learned behavior. Yeah. It's not that he was a bad man. It was just that that's how his parents were probably to him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So uh, it, that's, that stuff really affected me because I, I wasn't, I'm not built that way. Yeah. I'm not callous. I can't turn my emotions off. I'm not laser focused on life. I'm just like all over the place. So uh, that was the kind of the situation I was growing up in. And uh, my brother, he got the bad end of the stick because he started to act out, obviously a teenager before I was. And How much older is he than you? I was born February 27th, 83. He was born August 22nd, 80. So he's okay. just, you know, like two and a half yeah. years older than me. So my brother would would start to act out in his teenage years and my mom didn't know what to do, you know. So she would call my dad and my dad would be coming home from work and of course that that made him livid that she was bothering him and she couldn't handle the kids at home. So my dad would come in and like start beating on my brother. Yeah. Slapping him around, making fun of him, like just not handling the situation in a healthy manner. And I remember I'd be crying outside and freaking out. You know what I mean? This is like a regular occurrence. So basically that impacted my brother to where he started to act out. And we found out later that he was like breaking into people's uh, houses and robbing people. You know what I mean? Like, Was he on drugs? He was sober. 
Oh, he wow. was 13, 12. Yeah, he was just... <laughs> he was just acting out in different ways. So what he was doing, uh, he was breaking into houses in our neighborhood. And we, at this point in time, we lived in a neighborhood called Bee Canoe, which was in upst- uh, North Georgia, upstate Georgia. <laughs> yeah, never heard of that. <laughs> which is in North Georgia, up in Pickens County, in a town called Jasper. And uh, my dad was working in Atlanta. And he moved us to this, like, beautiful, beautiful mountain community, gated community, like, prestigious place, the most prestigious place in Jasper at the time. And uh, so my brother was breaking in houses in this gated community. And long story short, we found out that my dad was cheating on my mom. Wow. So our house turned into a war zone, you know? And then my brother was breaking into houses and doing all this stuff. Well, one day... uh, we come home and we notice that like there was all these like police outside the house and like are going up to our neighbor's driveway and like the whole street was lined with like police and stuff. And my mom realized my brother wasn't home and she was like freaking out at this point. So she got the yearbook, <laughs> our yearbook and went next door to the police and were like, my son's missing. My son's missing. Well, what they did is they took that yearbook inside they gave it to the, the these people next door. These old people said they'd been robbed and, and like commit, somebody committed armed robbery next door. Well, they put it together and they went inside and took the yearbook in there and then the, the neighbors identified my brother through the yearbook oh, my wow. mom gave them. Yeah. So it culminated with my brother committing armed robbery. Yeah. Okay. And that was July 19th, 1994. So my brother duct taped our neighbors together at gunpoint with his friend mm, wow. and they stole ripped this old lady out of bed at gunpoint he's like 13 13 wow yeah. and you're just on the outside watching <laughs> i'm this playing thing. basketball like <laughs> i'm play, just trying to be a kid like like reading comic books yeah. and playing video games i have no idea right. like what's going on i'm the oblivious kid that like secludes himself and is okay running through the woods playing with a bb gun you yeah. know what i mean and my brother's breaking in houses stealing guns and duct taping neighbors and stuff yeah, <laughs> you wow. know what i mean my dad's cheating on my mom you know what i mean so you so got like, all this stuff happening around you and i'm oblivious yeah you I'm don't just, know what's happening emotionally to you and and it's just Exactly. Yeah. And I, but I, but what I do is I like to escape into my own world, reading comic books, collecting baseball cards, seemingly all these normal things like a kid would do, but, but I'm blocking everything out. I'm not processing and I'm using it as an escape. And it's, it's like compacting emotionally. You yeah. know what I mean? So I uh, just fast forward through all that crap. My brother got a 20 to five for all that, got drug around prisons and stuff all over Georgia. And then finally moved out of that county because that was the worst crime committed in Pickens County at that time, up to that point. So we moved to Roswell, Georgia. And it was like, you know, going from the mountains to the city, Roswell, a lot of money, right north of uh, North Fulton County and a little bit north of Atlanta and uh, seemingly another like beautiful place to grow up and live in, which it was. But I felt out of place. So now there's more like changes going on. I went from like the notorious last Scheidweiler, notorious last name of Pickens County. Everyone knew. Now I'm in a new place carrying that that shame and, you know, my mom being like, don't tell anyone what's going on. So now I'm hiding secrets. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm, I'm completely disrupted internally. Yeah. Carrying all this crazy stuff going on. Um, and then I remember one day, uh, you know, my friends were like, Hey, do you want to, you, know, you want to smoke weed? You know, we're skateboarding and I was always popular and stuff like that. And of course, you know, uh, I, eventually I jumped on the bandwagon, you know what I mean? So I, I, I smoked weed and, uh, it didn't really do much for me, but, uh, I'll tell you what, when, uh, one day when I got a hold of some Xanax, mm-hmm. I remember feeling, uh, I remember thinking, I remember, I feel like a kid again. 
So that points back to like my, like before the trauma happened when I was a kid. That's where that took me back to because all the fears and all the worries and the anxiety left me, mm-hmm. which is what the drug is supposed to do. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? But how old were you when you first took Xanax? I was in 11th grade, so I was like 17. 17. I'd already had a DUI at 16. (laughs) Okay. I'd already had a DUI at 16, so I was dabbling in in weed and and drinking. But when I got a hold of that, and I took it at school. As a kid stole a bottle from pharmacy, he was working at CVS, and he was handing them out for free to his friends at school trying to be popular. And uh, I ate ate three bars my first time in school. Okay, and I blacked out. I got sent to the principal's office, and I got sent in school. I cussed out a teacher. I got sent to ISS. I, I pissed that guy off. He kicked me out of ISS. I got sent home, and uh, I woke up the next day, and my first thought was, I know where there's more. Yeah. My mom had a bottle uh, by the phone in the kitchen. So even with all these consequences, immediate consequences, I didn't care yeah. because I remember it made me feel like a kid again. Mm-hmm. So uh, that catapulted me to like, I want this as much and as often as I can get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's cool now. Cause as you're processing this stuff now, you know, you're thinking about the fact of, you know, I was just talking to somebody yesterday of how we're always running from ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, or we're trying to find ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, at such a young age going through all that stuff and not even realizing how to process it or how to learn how to deal with it. Cause you're kind of doing it alone. You know, your dad was dealing with his and then the divorce and now you're just a kid with all this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to figure out how to feel it, you found something that yeah. actually just erased it. Exactly. You know what I mean? It numbed that feeling. It completely numbed it. And that was like, and I remember in seventh grade, so let's go back a little bit. I remember in seventh grade telling my mom, like, I don't feel right. My parents had got divorced at this time. And you know, like I said, I'm still going to prisons to, to visit my brother up in Alto State Prison at the time. All this stuff. And I remember telling my mom, I was like, I don't feel right. Well, you're fine. You're good. You're healthy. You got friends. You know what I mean? You're going to school. You got, you're making good grades. I always made good grades, A's and B's. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm not dumb. I just had there's something wrong with me inside, you know what I mean, mentally and emotionally. And, uh, but, and I remember they took me to counseling and it just, I went like one time and we never went back. So it was kind of, my dad was always like, oh, you're fine. Go to school and get good grades. It was always these things on the outside to do. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew how to address it on the inside. And I wasn't mature enough to explain it either. And we never delved into the therapy long enough to like get any progress. So, uh, I'm, but I remember thinking, I don't feel right inside. I feel off. And then when I took the Xanax in 11th grade, it was like, no, I've arrived. There's the answer. Yeah. Now everything feels okay. And I felt a part of, right. you know what I mean? That, that burden had been lifted and I chased that feeling to the gates of insanity and death, yeah. literally uh, as often as I could from the age what 17 to, I mean, I'm 39 now. So yeah. that's 22 years. And I've had two, three, four years of recovery in those 20 so 18 years of my life have been almost in a blackout. Yeah. You know, not knowing who you are and trying to figure that out. Do you ever like, cause I, sometimes for me, when I look at my past and things that happened, it's how I analyze people today. So like, do you ever talk to people now? And cause you looked, like you said, I had good grades it, your mom thought everything was fine on the outside, which I think about even some people that are listening that are not in addiction, right? Maybe they're not, but there's something going on on the inside. And so many people are trying to make the outside. Do you tend to look at people now and you see, and they're, they're saying like, oh, everything's okay. Do you internally think like, I wonder if everything's okay on the inside? Or have you ever thought of that? 
No, of course I do. Um, because I know, like, especially with, like, social media and all these things today, like, everyone is, like, I want to, like, I can, I can see somebody post something on social media and they look happy, but I know, like, they're miserable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know, like, you're cheating on your wife and, and she's cheating on you and, and you're broke, but you, you bought a new Mercedes or something like that. So it's, like, I don't care what people present I look through that, right. you know what I mean? I try to look through that and, and analyze and, and pick out like, you know, how somebody's mannerisms, like does it, does it, does your handshake match your smile type of deal? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, because uh, it's too easy to, to put on a facade because that's what the world appreciates now is like, is, is the outside stuff, yeah. the vanity, the materialistic stuff. I don't care about none of that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I want to get to know like the real person and I, and, and j because of what I've went through it's really easy for me to pick out like what other people are going through. Yeah. And, and I love that you just said what I went through. Cause like I always say sometimes we're like, we used to run from our past and now our past is like, it's why we are doing the things we are today. Does it make you more self-aware now for your internal feelings? Cause I think even me as a human, I'm always like, I want to make sure I'm always chasing to make sure I'm, I'm doing what makes me happy. And I'm, 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 I'm kind of living the life God's created me to be. So I'm always like self-reflecting so much because same thing, I mask. As long as you thought I was doing okay, I don't care how I feel. But as long as Aaron and everybody around me thinks Joseph's good, I'm good. But the inner feelings is what led me to drugs. So today I'm always so self-aware inside. Do you tend to find yourself personally doing that or do you still struggle with that? I am right now like I'm searching to find myself and my biggest thing is to look at my character defects like if i'm sitting here and i still look at shoes every day i like shoes yeah, you know what i mean <laughs> i had my first pair of jordan seven bordeaux on like third grade and yeah. the aqua eights and then like the concord 11s <laughs> and the 12s like yeah. you know and back then i could i could i played ball i could i could mess them up cut grass in them and i'd go mom can i get a new pair oh yeah here you go here's a credit card like yeah. i always had shoes but what i'm saying is i notice if i'm scrolling through I'm 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 looking for like something to cover up something else. It's still ah. the same thing. I'm aware of my defects today, and like that's where I'm at on my journey. Is all right. If I'm if I'm spending an hour looking at a pair of shoes, do I really need to buy them? What am I doing? Why why do I? It's it's another type of endorphin hit. It's another way to cover up. I'm looking at my character defects and trying to figure out what that's pointing to. I'm becoming self-aware. If I'm simply scrolling through Facebook and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what am I, put, put it down, Aaron. Yeah. Like, what am I distracting myself from? Why am I spending my days, I only get one life, right? Why am I spending so much time scrolling through a phone? Like, get up, get out, go help somebody. Yeah. Do something else. Like, get, be a part of real life. Mm -hmm. those, are, those are the things I'm doing. And as I'm doing that, and helping more people, I'm becoming uh, a better version of myself. And then as we say, more will be revealed. Like yeah. this is, this is an inside job. And I've spent so many years covering up like the pain, the trauma, don't know who I am. And I'm, and I just picked up a year, uh, a year on June 27th. Congrats, like, awesome. Thank yeah. you. And after what I just went through to get to this year, like I realized I have a lot of work to do, bro. Yeah. A lot of work to do. And it's going to take years of self-discovery to figure out like who I am. And also in this journey, I want to figure out where I want to go. I have no idea what I want to do in life. Yeah. You know, I do construction work. 
I renovations, remodels, and I like that work, you know, but I also want, is this what I want to do forever? Like, what am I suited? What am I suited for? What is, what is God's purpose for me? This is what I'm excited to find out these days, but it's going to take a while. Yeah. I think that journey is never ending though. I mean, I, I mean, me watching from the sidelines, I, I just tell you, I think you're already doing that. Um, you know, I think sometimes we're looking towards a destination of where God wants us. But right now I, I have this feeling that God's got you exactly where he wants you in service. And that's how you're finding yourself, you know? And I mean, like yeah, I said, I, I've watched you for just the past maybe three months since we first really met. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like you said, on social media and, and just hearing about you and every time somebody needs something, you're like the first person who raises their hand like, yeah, I'll do it. And, and I feel like that's exactly where you're supposed to be. And that's how you're finding yourself. Um, and I want to get, get to, I, I just wanted to say that, cause I think that's going to help a lot of people also, because I struggle with that also of, okay, God, where do you want me? And I'm almost like looking into the future instead of like, okay, God, you have me here. Mm-hmm. What are you trying to show me here for the next level? You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I'm talking to myself as I'm saying that, you know what I mean? Just, just hearing you say what you're saying. Cause you just dropped some nuggets for me of, you know, Hey, when I'm, cause I love shoes too. When I'm looking at other stuff, what am I suppressing? What am I doing? What are you distracting? What a from? gift that is to actually be aware of it. Um, especially where we were, right? Not being aware. Mm-hmm. And that's why I would say recovery is a gift because we're forced to do that in a way. Cause if we don't and we don't cover it, we know what'll happen. It's the relapse. It's the, we'll go back to drugs. Some other people will just continue to do that. And they're not going to drugs they're going to something else. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to get into your story of when you started using drugs and, and some of the things that happened there, you know, on the road to recovery. Cause oh, yeah. you know, people heard you started and then like, they're hearing this like, wow, man, prolific of self-awareness and this and that. But how did I get here? Yeah. How'd you get oh, here? Man, it is. It's insane. Um, I'll just say this. I, okay, off the top of my head, I've got five DUIs, three shoplifting charges, a couple criminal trust, trespass charges. I've got I've got uh, concealed weapon charges. I've got possession of drugs, possession of drug-related objects, aggravated assault, terroristic threats. Um, I've got DUIs on, while waiting to go to court for a DUI. You know what I mean? My license is taken away. I'm driving on the yellow slip of paper and I've gotten a DUI on that slip of paper, you know, back to back DUIs in a month. Like, uh, I've been to jail a lot, prison once I I've, I've been Narcaned four times on three occasions, twice in one night, you know, twice like Narcan fell out again, Narcan, like the stuff that I've been through is insane. And the fact that I didn't stop through any of these tells you how deep my pain goes you know what i mean so what has happened like things i've been through like okay so i got good grades in in high school and then i I went to Kennesaw state university in college and due to the fact that i remember my dad always saying go to school and get good grades i always felt grounded if i was in school getting good grades that was easy for me but my but i was my addiction was progressing you know what i mean so uh, i was using before school during school after school there was never a day I was sober. You know what I mean? I was always on the hunt. Um, I would do minimal in school and get good grades. And then I would try to party, you know? Um, And I was getting arrested all through this process, you know? And uh, some things that happened to me along the way. um, Let's see. I'd gotten in college. I got, I got in a relationship in 2005 with this girl and she was a bad addict just like I was. And every day we used and used and used and, 
got into the pills really bad together you know what i mean and then our that relationship fell apart and i was selling drugs i'm selling weed i'm selling roxies i'm selling xanax i'm selling whatever i can get my hands on that way i can use as much as possible you know and uh my life was starting to fall apart yeah and then uh and then i got kicked out of college um i, I left i left Kennesaw with 81 credits and I, I, due to some unfortunate circumstances with my brother um i walked out of a final a math final and uh, I ended up getting a D in the class. I failed the final because like I couldn't handle what he was doing. He was leaving me these crazy messages, like throwing away everything I, I owned and yeah. like just being a, a terrible person. So I walked out of my final, and I failed that final, and I got a D in the class, and I lost my Hope scholarship. Okay, so when I didn't have school, like my life just took a turn for the worse because that was all I've ever had. You know, I didn't know. I always thought that was part of my identity. Go to school, get good grades. That's what my dad told me. And I thought that I was going to go to school for business and I was going to follow in the footsteps and like of my dad and become the successful business person. And, uh, and I got kicked out of school and then I felt lost and hopeless. Right. So then my addiction took a, a huge turn for the worse. And I was selling drugs and using drugs and getting arrested left and right in a toxic relationship. And then, uh, I, you know, uh, jail a lot, like I said. And then in 2010, I met this girl who I thought was like amazing. You know what I mean? And it was, it was not amazing. <laughs> so I go, I say that to say this, I do not know how, I do not know how to pick a female. I don't know how to date. I'm terrible at relationships because I'm broken inside. Yeah, you okay. Still found you exactly. Um, so I'm. That's what I'm trying to do today. Is like be friends with the female, get to know her, date her, like the like be be a normal human being. Um, so then I ran off to this chick, got married, and uh, bro, I'm the 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 gates of hell opened up in this relationship. Was she an active user? I was her drug dealer. Oh, yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, she yeah, was. <laughs> yeah, she was. And uh, you know, I actually got her on the needle, and then. God, she turned into a monster and I overdosed one, uh, she overdosed actually what I'm talking about we overdosed a lot but or I did but she overdosed one night and I woke up and she was next to me and she wasn't breathing and I was like oh crap and she's got kids and stuff but they were living in Colorado where she's from and I was sitting here trying to like wake her up and like get her to come to and then i remember i told my brother i was like what do i do and he was like i don't know bro and he left and my brother oh, wow. leaves me with my wife like dying her lips are gray like it wasn't breathing and i was like man i gotta do it i gotta call the police i gotta call the ambulance and uh, they came and they got her and they narcaned her and she came out of it and uh but the police, I told them, I had a warrant out for my arrest. So I'm walking out in cuffs, and then I tell them to go to lock the door. My keys are upstairs, and they find my, my pill bottle on the keys. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And, like, so I got charged with that. But I, she she got taken off on a stretcher, and then I went to jail. And I didn't come home for 361 days. Wow. I went to two different counties, and then I went to prison. But because, because I'm smart, and the guy was... <laughs> testing me you know in the jail system to see where he was going to put me i remember he put the test down he put his pencil down and he's like okay like you don't need to be here <laughs> i'm not going to send you to prison uh, i believe you're, you're smart you got a chance you know what i mean you're not like the normal person that comes through here i get that all the time like what are you doing like yeah. you know what i mean i don't i don't fit in even in jail i've had officers be like you don't you don't fit in here you don't bro. belong here you don't belong here yeah. what are you doing stop coming back they're like no your brother he because they know him they're like he belongs here you don't yeah and there's always had people tell me this stuff but yeah. i'm too stuck in addiction to and i found that like you know i've been to prison twice and i got a buddy of mine that i was in prison with um and he's coming home you know in about like 60 days he had to turn seven years and 
there's so many people that are having to go into the prison system or just jails, and they're not bad people. No, no, no. Like, they're just drug addicts. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's why I asked if your brother was stealing, because I've been asked so many times, like, when you used to steal from people, why were you stealing? And I'm like, the only reason I stole was to get high. I mean, I'm, if I'm not getting high, I don't need to steal from you. I'll go work. I'll be a re regular member of society. I just don't know how to do that without the drugs. And then yeah. I don't know how to do the drugs without the stealing because I, I need the money for it. Yeah. Was there ever a moment, like, I had somebody ask me this question, such a good question. I wonder, I've been asking people in recovery this. When you were going through all that, you know, you know, getting getting out of school, like you, you're you're almost, you probably know your life is going to this bad turn. Was there ever moments like I need to stop or I probably should or like, what am I doing? You know, or was it just like, this is who I am and I don't care? It was a mix. Okay. And I'm glad you said that. Um, there were times when I would look at what I was doing because I, I went to Cobb County uh, in Cobb County jail. I was, I was put in a work release program one time. And AA came into the room. Like, they came in the jail where we were at. And I remember my buddy being like, oh, man, AA. I was like, what? He's like, oh, just come on, man. They got free coffee and donuts. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, all right, guess. I'm gone. So, you know, the seed was planted then. And, uh, and I tried it. But see, codependency for me is bigger than the addiction. So I would get out of jail and I'd be like, cause I, I dry, you dry up in jail, right? You know what I mean? I'm not using in county jail. I guess some people do, but I didn't. So I get out and then I go back to my relationship, but the girl I'm with is still using drugs. So I'm like trying to like, I realizing what's going on. I'm like, Hey, let's go to AA. Come on. There's like, we can, we can do this. So we'd go to AA, but then the girl wouldn't want to do it. So then I would leave, yeah. you know? So I was trying to have these little awakenings along the way, but I wasn't strong enough because I hadn't hit the bottom yet. Yeah. And I was always in a relationship. So that, you know, it's things like that were going on to me, with me. Um, but it took me to actually run into a friend of mine uh, on a college campus in a weird circumstance where, like, I shouldn't even have been there. I was driving with no license. I, I, I had criminal trespassing charge. I wasn't allowed on campus. And I drove there, and I remember I walked down this hallway, and I saw a friend of mine that I knew from high school, and he was sober. And I was like, oh, "Crap, you're a, you're a disaster! You're a disaster!" Yeah. Like I thought he was worse than I was. You know what I mean? And uh, he carried the message to me. So I tried. I tried it then. He gave me a big book. He gave me a twelve and twelve. He gave me a CD by Earl Hightower because mm -hmm. he went out to some fancy ritzy rehab in Texas, and Earl Hightower came there and spoke. And uh, I still listen to Earl Hightower this day to fall asleep to. And wow. I tell my news, I tell my sponsees to listen to Earl Hightower because yeah. that was the first person I ever heard. I was like, "That's me!" Like against all odds, he's going to still drink and use no matter what. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's the, what he does. So um, I tried it then, but I was taking too much benzos. I actually started having seizures, lost the ability to speak, lost the ability to walk. I would collapse, and I, I, like my brain and body weren't like coordinated. So you were you were were you trying were you trying to do recovery and was, take benzos without like I as, quit cold turkey. Yeah. I quit cold turkey because I was like, this is the answer. If it worked for him, it'll work for me. He got sober. I can I can get sober. He's given me. The, the AA literature, like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I knew the way I was living was shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I didn't know how to get out of it. Yeah. So he carried the message to me, but I jumped into gung-ho, and I, I detoxed too fast. I had eaten like a 100 pack of bars in a week, and that week, and then I just quit cold turkey. Oh. And I had been using for years and years, you know what I mean? But that week was especially heavy. <laughs> yeah. And then I quit instantly, and uh, my body was like, what are you doing? 
You know what I mean? So then, of course, I, I have to start taking drugs again. So I got caught back in the loop. But throughout my life, like, there's these little snippets of attempts at recovery, attempts at recovery. Um, but, you know, it, take, it took me to be away from the female. It yeah. takes for me to usually to be away from the female to actually get my head on straight. Yeah. Did the female, because you see that a lot in whether it's recovery or like people are like, I'm not, I can't do this because of this. Right. And it's not, have you ever wondered if it, why was it the female? Like did the, did she make you feel, cause the beginning stages of recovery when you're going through it. Like I remember when I first really came into the rooms, getting out of prison, it's like, okay, I'm sober right now. And you want me to look at my past and I have like 37 felonies. I've stolen from my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done so much trash, stolen from best friends. I mean, there's nobody that's ever met. I mean, I have all these feelings that make me feel like I'm a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. And the female makes you feel like you're not when it's supposed to be the, the program that's supposed to make you feel like, accept your past, accept what's happened. It's not who you are, it's what you've done. But it's almost like I have to learn to deal with myself. Do you feel like the female just gave you that little bit of security? Or was it the fact that you are just, you don't like to be alone? Have you ever looked at that part of your oh, life? Oh, I'm dealing with that now. I like to be alone. Yeah. Look, I'm the guy that'll go to a party and I'm cool at first. And I went to a buddy of mine, Tommy, up in, up in North Georgia, up in Jasper. And I love him and I built him a fire pit and I, I'm, I'm friends with his son. You know what I mean? So I'm completely, my point is I'm completely comfortable at his house. You know what I mean? Like completely comfortable with him and his family. But he had a party one day and AA get together and I get over there and like when it's just me and the, him and it's cool and then there's three or four people and it's cool. But like when everyone starts showing up, I'm just like, what's going on? You know what I mean? And I get, I get, I get tired of it. I feel like I get drained. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then I walk out the door without saying goodbye and go home and lay on my bed and hit, hit, hit the bed and just turn on a movie. And I'm like, oh my God, this feels so much better. I like being alone. Yeah. I do not like getting, I feel like I get torn apart in different directions. Like my soul is getting ripped apart when I'm around too many people. So it's not being alone. It's, I think it's that feeling of love and acceptance mm. that got messed up in me when I was a kid. All the, uh, everything that I'm doing today is, is a, is a bi- direct byproduct of my childhood trauma. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm aware of that today. So like right now I came into recovery I came down from Georgia with my ex, who is now my ex, and uh, we broke up. You know, I've been through breakup and recovery. I went to court, back to Georgia to court for you know since I've been in recovery. I haven't used, but what I'm doing is like I'm be- I'm becoming this this round painfully aware of my defects because my last relapse was so bad, and we'll get to that. I truly believe I will, I'll, I'll finally put the nail in the coffin. I will die if I go back out. So I have to look at my actions today. That's why like, look, man, when I had, a, when I had two years of recovery before I had 120 pairs of shoes that I bought in like a year and a half, two years, I spent 10 to 15 grand on shoes. I was hitting the gym like a crackhead. I was chasing women. I was not plugged in like I am. The reason I'm plugged in and I'm doing things like this today is a direct result of my terrible relapses last time. And I'm like, dude, I don't, I can't keep living the way I'm living. Yeah. So I've finally been awakened and given the drive that I need. Well, everybody heard that and I heard it and I'm like, let's a segue into that. <laughs> uh, so you got, you kind of were introduced to AA a little bit, but you never really fully came in because of the codependencies. Yeah. And then you had, was that the longest time of being sober? Like, can you take us through when you, when you hit your bottom and started that journey of the two years? 
Okay, in 2015, I'll go to that. Because, okay, if you go from the time where I was saying, like, I, I ran into my buddy in, in college in, like, 07 or whatever it was, to, to, to a year ago or whatever, 2015. So between 2007 and 2015, it was a shit show. We don't need to get into all the craziness. Yeah, we'll, be here for, we'll be here for a month <laughs> I mean, telling you all the crazy things that I did and how I shouldn't be alive. Right. All right, let's just skip all that. So 2015... Uh, my brother and I got into a fight and he was blackmailing my mom for money. Okay. And uh, my mom had kicked him out of the house and he was, he was mad. So he would call my mom and I was on probation and I was using drugs. So I found out he was calling my mom and being like, mom, if you don't give me money for this, I'm going to call Aaron's probation officer. And finally, wow. and my mom would tell me, Oh my God, I'm going broke. I don't have money for this. And finally I was just tired of it. I was like, I tell you what, mom, fuck him. I'm calling like, I'm going to go turn myself in. I'm going to go to my probation. I'm going to go. And of course, cause they called me probation officer called me and was like, I need you to come in and take a piss test. So my brother had called them and I told my mom, I said, don't worry about it. I'm going to do what I got to do. I just don't want him hanging me over your head as you know what I mean? As guilt and, and, and using that for you to uh, give him money. And you were, you getting high at this time. Oh yeah. yeah, I was so deep on Xanax, and I was taking. I think I was on methadone and Roxy's. That's bro. a special moment to to pay attention to, because like that, knowing how it is in that moment and watching that happen, I know me when I was in my addiction, I'd be like, "Deal with it, mom," because I'm so. <laughs> but that that that's that means you must have a special bond with your mom. I love my mom. She's yeah. always been there for me, and and everyone that knows me knows I've got a good heart. Like I'm right. I'm a good person, and I'm just I'm the type of guy to where if I sober. You'll have me in your house. You'd you'd move me into your house and let me live there and babysit your kids. Right. And you would feel like he will protect my kids like they're his own. Yeah. He won't have a there'd be no problems and like he's cool. But if I'm on drugs, you're gonna be like, lock the doors, <laughs> Man, <laughs> uh, pull the that. blinds yeah. shut, and, and, and turn the lights off. Like yeah. and then block him. You know what I mean? So uh, so that moment allowed you to say, "I'm gonna go do what I got. I'm gonna do. do what I gotta do." Yeah. So what it is is in my brother's moment of selfishness and self-centeredness it allowed me in a selfless act to of love for my mom and and to give her a break from the insanity i turned myself in and i went through the most intense crazy detox and like dude i just got goosebumps because i know what that's like man. oh my man. god Come, i see your, coming your off, oh my god bro coming off of xanax roxy's heroin methadone weed I literally lost touch with reality and let's see if I'll just hit the highlights of this stuff. Um, I put my, I got myself put in, uh, in lockdown and, 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 you know, su not suicide watch. It's like just, you know, 24 hours a day, lockdown in a cell, uh, like deseg or whatever. I, I went ahead and had, had them put me in that, in that area of the jail because I was losing, losing my mind. And there was a book that's called cryptic. And in this book, there is a character named Aaron and he was the main character. I thought that one of the guys in there gave me the book to let me know that I was the, that guy in the book. Oh, wow. So I would read this book and think that that was telling me my reality. And in that book, this guy was in a, in like a mental health, uh, prison down in South Georgia. So when I got let out, so when they let us out to use the phones, I'd run down and I'd pick up the phone. I'd call my mom like, mom, where am I? Where am I? She's like, Aaron, you're in Cherokee County. I was like, stop fucking lying. I know I'm not here. Why are you lying to me? Like I'm arguing with my mom because I think that I'm in the book. Yeah. Okay. Like got lost. Dude, crazy. And then I had my first, like, uh, I basically did like a fifth step in there uh, because I thought that uh, one, I thought that everybody that I had hurt 
was being able to watch me through like a video or like a like a like a window and see into my cell and there was times when i'd be sleeping but i'd be in like this dream world and i thought that everyone that i'd ever hurt was being paraded in front of the cell to see me like there he is this is the guy that hurt you so i would get up and i would like try to look out the window to see these people that were walking by wow. <laughs> like bro, it was crazy <laughs> so uh so i came back to reality from that and they put me back in population and uh i remember thinking to myself i'm gonna tell my lawyer i'm gonna take a straight three i'm gonna go to prison I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna go right back to what I'm doing because that's the only way I knew how to live, bro. Like I didn't yeah. understand. Like I knew there was ways out, but at, at some point between there, I had succumbed to the addiction so bad, and I'm, I'm gonna hit on this too, that I literally thought that God, that was like my life. Like God made Aaron to live live out his life in addiction, so I didn't think there was a way out. And when I thought that, it got really bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's no hope. But then when I went to jail on, in these circumstances, um, and then I had this, uh, this crazy hallucinating auditory and visual like detox, and I, I was presented with the option of rehab by my lawyer. It was either you can go to prison or you can go to rehab. It's up to you. What do you want to do? Well, I told some people in the cell that I had these options, and somebody was like, well, if you go to rehab, you know, think about it, but here's the big book. Mm. Somebody in, this, in the jail cell had in the pod had the big book and i started reading it and there's in the big book there's a story of a pilot okay uh -huh. the, the guy that's a pilot so i was reading that and i remember uh it triggered a movie that i watched i was getting high with a buddy of mine named eric in georgia and i remember the movie flight with denzel washington <laughs> and i say denzel got me sober <laughs> because i remember thinking if it worked for denzel it can work for me yeah. And it turns out that the movie Flight was based on that story in the big book. Okay. Oh, I never knew that. A guy told me that. A oh, guy wow. told me a guy that you know I'm not gonna break his anonymity. <laughs> You'll tell me after. And, yeah. He told me this when I was at Java. He goes, because I shared the same thing in immense meaning, he goes, That 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 movie Flight is based on the movie in the book. I mean the the story in the book of the Native American uh, airline pilot. So there's always been these little things that have stuck with me, you know what I mean? And whenever I've been getting sober, like little things will like come back into my head. But the game changer here was the fact that I was in jail. My wife at the time was in a different state. Uh, so when I came home, when I got out of jail, I was alone. There was no female. I was able to focus on me for the first time. And I, I, took, I accepted a rehab plea up, to L, up in LJ, a place called Isaiah House. And uh, this was in 2015. And uh, I ended up divorcing my wife, which was huge for me. Yeah. Which is huge for me. Because I, uh, I talked to the guy that ran the, ran the place, and his name's Ed. He's got like 25, 30 years sober by now. And he was like, well, normally we tell people not to make uh, big decisions in the first year of sobriety. But Aaron, in your case, I think that's cut and dry. <laughs> like, an you might want to get rid of that one. <laughs> because of all the stuff I had told her that, that, we, that happened and she had done even when I was in prison. Like, what yeah. are you doing going back to that? So, uh, you know, I divorced her. And then, you know, but see, here's my thing. I divorced her, but then I attached on to another girl. You know what I mean? It was always like, it was like a drug for me because I want that comfort. I want that security. And uh, I put together a year sober, but like an idiot, you know, I, uh, I thought I had this and I moved out and I get in a relationship. That whole year you were in a, like a halfway house because you said moved out? I spent nine, I, I spent nine months there actually. 
no, ten months because I it was nine. I got sentenced to nine, like a nine month uh, thing, and I stayed an extra month. So ten months I was there, and then I moved out. I was doing masonry work. I love doing masonry work up in North Georgia. That's when I got introduced to like manual labor, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I still do that to this day. Construction yeah. work. I love masonry, but you know, once again, I say this, say that, say this. It's easy for me to put the drink and the drug down, but then I got to work on me. Yeah. And, as, and as I've said, my story goes along with if there's a woman there, I can't work. I can put the drink or the drug down or I can tell her, hey, babe, we need to get sober. But if she's not with it, I follow her. And then when I was sober for that year, you know, I, I divorced one, but I latched on to another. Mm-hmm. And then when that one didn't work out because I found out she was getting high and lying to me, you know what I mean? I'm alone for a little bit and then I run into another one. So it's like even though I'm OK alone, I'll still like when when the situation presents itself or like a certain mix of crazy because it's not just any woman it's not just like one woman looks at me and i fall in love it's that crazy toxic mix that gives me that high yeah so i chaos addicted to the chaos yeah so even in a woman that's what i search for yeah i can't do that but i'm aware of that this time right i can't keep doing that yeah (laughs) so you latched on to her and it's crazy because like i think about the self-awareness man like just hearing you talk so much and how much self-awareness you have today and like some people would, and that maybe, I don't know whether you do it. Sometimes I do it. I tend not to do it now, but like being so self-aware means we're also not just trying to be like, oh, I'm so great, but where do I need to work on? Yeah. And that's a life. Like, I don't think that stops. Like, I remember thinking, you know, I got married, you know, about five years ago and I have a mentor um, who's been married for like 30 years and he's in the church and stuff. And I was telling him, man, I keep, you know, I always get defensive all the time and I, it bothers me that I'm mm-hmm. defensive when am I going to learn? When am I going to change? Yeah. He's like, Joseph, I'm going to remind you, as long as you're a human being, you may fix that. But you, if, if you're going to stay self-aware, there's going to be another area in your life you're going to have to. It, this is a never-ending game if you want to be the self-aware person who's trying to become a better version of himself or trying to become the version God created him to be. You're going to have to look at yourself because if you're not, you're going to be blinded. And then you're going to turn into that egotistical Joseph who thinks nothing's wrong with him mm-hmm. and everybody else's fault. And, and the, so the self-awareness game is like, sometimes we're like, I wish I wasn't that way. But sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm this way. Now, I, now I'm learning how to do it. And that's a big maturity. I mean, I, I got to give you kudos to that, bro. That's massive, dude. Well, thank you. The self-awareness, it comes in stages. You know what I mean? But it usually takes pain. Like it's taken me to go through all this to become able to say, hey, I don't need that pair of shoes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, you know, I need to plug into the service work. I'm not going to worry about the gym. Like I went to the gym this morning, but I haven't been in a week. That's not normally like me, but I'm like, who cares, Aaron? You got all this other stuff to do. Um, so for me, it's like, okay, I'll pick back up. Um, I got in that relationship with this girl and then she was smoking weed and then she was like, hey, do you want to hit it? And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. You know what I mean? So then I hit it. You know what I mean? So like, uh, I was, see, it, it, I wasn't plugged in, bro. I was doing the minimum. I was doing the half measures. I'm glad you said that. I wanted to ask that. Half measures availed me nothing. I was doing the minimum. Um, so I relapsed and then I got back in recovery with another clear moment of clarity, a lucid moment where I stepped back and looked at myself and I was like, Aaron, what are you doing? And I called my sponsor. And at that moment, when I called my sponsor, I only used for like three months and it wasn't anything really heavy, but I did get a hold of some pills one day and I, I fell asleep at the wheel and ran my boss's truck off the, off the road at night. I said nothing heavy. <laughs> off an, <laughs> an LJ. And I told these cops, some of this neighbor, the person across the street from the highway called the police. And I'm pulling out. Like I had to cut the barbed wire. I ran through like a cow fence, had to cut the barbed wire with these, these tin snips that we had in the truck, <laughs> white mortar with mortar from doing, uh, you know, masonry work was 
all over his his suburban man it was a disaster but i'm pulling off onto the street and the cop pulls in right in front of me yeah and that hit my adrenaline right there and the cop was like what's going on and i said oh some deer ran out in front of the, the vehicle and he was like oh okay well drive safe <laughs> and i told my boss that some deer ran out in front of me and at first he's like okay but then a couple of days later he was like when I told him what happened, he was like, it's fine. I already knew. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, deer don't cross there this time of the year. He was a hunter. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? But he was in, a, he was an addict too. So he understood what was going on. So that, that gave me another jump back in recovery. So, um, then I put together two years and in those two years, I got more plugged in than the first time, you know, I was chairing meetings. I was doing service work, but I was never sponsored, bro. Mm. This, that was, that's the problem. I didn't sponsor, so then I was stuck in self. If I'm not carrying the message and helping, working directly with another addict or an alcoholic, it is my belief, yours may be different, that I'm still stuck in self and I'm going backwards. Because the point of this isn't to me get okay mm -hmm. and then like get a job and get money in the bank and have the white picket fence and all this or whatever I want. It isn't to get to that and then just do the minimum. If I'm not... God is taking me out of the pits of hell and, and he's saying, Hey bro, I saved your life. I'm giving you an opportunity here. Now you go back and you do my work. Yeah. If I'm saying, nah, I'm good, bro. I'm, I'm good. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm fine. Like I'm healthy. I look good. I've got money in the bank. I got some fly shoes on my feet. I got a nice truck. Like I've got all this stuff. You know what? I'm too busy or you know what? I'm too, I'm ungrateful. I don't want to sponsor. If I'm doing that, God's saying, all right, I'm going to, have at it, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I have to carry the message. I have to give that gift back or else I'm complete. I'm, I'm not doing the, the deal. Mm -hmm. And the only people that I know that stay sober are people that do the deal. And I've tried it every way. Okay. I've tried it, you know, doing nothing but going to meetings. It doesn't work. I've tried to go to meetings and chair meetings and do the service work without sponsoring. It doesn't work for this disaster right here. I have to do all of that. And for me, the biggest game changer is sponsorship. So the two years I put together in Georgia, I was doing more, but I didn't do the self-work. I didn't do the internal work. I was still uh, uh, distracting with the shoes. I had, a, I had a shrine of shoes. Like this whole wall would have been covered with shoes, right? I was in great shape. I was chasing girls, on, you know what I mean, stuff like that. But I wasn't doing the self-work and I wasn't carrying the message. I wasn't sponsoring. So then I met this chick. And I moved in with her, like instantly. <laughs> that mix of crazy was there. And then COVID happened. And she really didn't like me going to meetings because there was girls there I'd been, I'd hooked up with, you know what I mean? So she was, her, her issues were coming out. So instead of leaving the relationship like a sane person would do, I was like, well, we'll just have meetings here. <laughs> me, you, and your brother, because I went to school with her brother. I knew him from sixth to 12th grade. And uh, so that's what I tried to do. But, you know, in the mix of our craziness, one day, she, like we'd fight and I would, uh, she would ask me to smoke her vape cartridge. And I was like, I can't, I can't. No, it's fine. You'll feel better. She didn't understand yeah. what I said. I will die. You don't get it. And she's like, I don't understand. I don't understand. And then one day she was like, here, hit it in the midst of this crazy fight. I was like, fine, fuck it. And I grabbed it and I hit it and I felt better. Of course. I sure did. <laughs> but it started. It's a temporary. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did it start? the day? You know, then I went to her Adderall. And then uh, one night we were moving and I was taking her Adderall to stay awake because I was falling asleep driving up and down the road. And then what do I, what, now I need to come down. So let me go to the store and buy some beer. So I'm smoking weed, taking her Adderall, drinking beer. Back at it. And then one day she's like, hey, my back hurts. This is like six months later. I'm not one of those that goes from like zero to 60. I, I like dabble. 
yeah. <laughs> and then I like, try to keep the control. And yeah. then I go over the waterfall. So uh, she said like her back hurt, and I'm like, well, like any good partner. Well, let me try to find you something to relieve that. <laughs> so, I, I, long story short, I end up getting her a couple of Roxies. And then I got, I did one too, and uh, now it's game over for me, bro. Yeah. And apparently, and this is where I start to forget because I don't remember what happened. I, uh, I actually, I went, I remember calling my old doctor, and he's a pill pusher, and I went and got a prescription for Adderall, and and I was like, I'll get Valium. Because Valium's okay. Yeah. I just can't get Xanax. I can't handle the Xanax. Valium will work. Apparently, I went through that script to 60 in like a week or something like that. And then like any good addict, when I ran out, I'm starting to call people. <laughs> yeah. And this is where I, my memory is gone. So I, I called a kid I went to high school with, and apparently this kid could get everything known to man. So uh, I spent like a couple grand in like a couple in like a week or two and was selling all my shoes and baseball cards i was like selling everything and just dropping money and money on these roxies and finally i got a hold of a batch that had fentanyl in them mm. so my now ex found me february 26th of last year and my birthday is the 27th so this is the day before my birthday of 2021 uh she found me at six o'clock on a thursday morning like who does that <laughs> all right she said i went out for like milk or something at midnight and then she woke up and realized i wasn't there and we had this life 360 app tracker app on our phones and she saw that i was parked in woodstock uh like the south end of the county we were at and like some cul-de-sac and she thought that i was going to be cheating on her and that's like her biggest fear is like to to realize that she's being cheated on well finally after calling me so many times she decided to drive out there and she found me slumped over in the front of my truck, not breathing, foaming out the mouth, mm. not responsive. She's beating on the window uh, and, and nothing. So finally she calls my, my friend, Will, who I've been getting the stuff from, and he could see like my truck from his house. So he came down and was like rocking the truck back and forth. They said my head was just going back and forth like a rag doll. And uh, finally she was like, break the window. He was like, are you sure? She's like, I don't care. Fuck it. Fuck that window. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, she's like, he's going to be mad. He's going to be mad that we break his window. But, but he's going to be alive. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they call it. But in the mix of that, they called the paramedics too. They called 911. And uh, he got this big rock, busted the window. And then, of course, right after he breaks the window, the paramedics show up. So, <laughs> so they, uh, they cut the seatbelt got me out, gave me CPR for 10 minutes. And mind you, I don't remember none of this, bro. I had to leave the, read the police report. CPR for 10 minutes, nothing. Bam, shot a Narcan. I came up out of that. They put me in the stretcher, threw me in the, in the, in the ambulance, and were taking me to the hospital. Well, apparently, I fell out again. They gave me another shot of Narcan, and I came up out of that. And then they, I woke up in the hospital, and I called Pam Celeste. Celeste is my ex-wife. Pam did not like being called Celeste, <laughs> apparently. Apparently, that's a problem in a relationship. But I didn't know who she was. I didn't know where I was. Where I, was. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what happened. And I went from there to the loony bin, and I got out of the loony bin, and I kept drinking and drugging. Pam didn't understand how messed up my head was at where my head was at and how messed up I was, the damage that I had done, like serious, like serious damage between loss of oxygen for that long. So we were fighting, you know, I was, I was like, I just need to be left alone. Leave me alone. I can't handle these responsibilities. I can't help with the kids. I can't fix the washing machine right now. You don't get it. Well, she didn't understand. So she kept pressuring me and like, didn't, wasn't just letting me be and recover because she was messed up from seeing me die. Yeah. So it was, it was a crazy situation. Um, but we kept drinking and drugging. And then uh, I got arrested. <laughs> we were fought, we had a huge fight, and I got arrested. I got out of jail. 
kept drinking and drugging and we left Atlanta. We thought I was going to prison. We had all, we thought all these charges were coming out and like she actually went to the loony bin within that period of time because they took the kids. So she came out of the loony bin with a boyfriend because she thought that I wasn't going to be, be able to be around her because there was a TPO out and that's her trauma. She latches onto another man. Yeah. So it's me, her, and this other 22-year-old 20, <laughs> kid and we leave Georgia to come down here because we're like, thinking that I'm going to have to be on the run for the rest of my life and we can use him as a third income and <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Those two can be on the lease and like yeah. this crazy concoction of like how we're going to survive. Um, but obviously that's not what I have to do today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we got rid of him. <laughs> uh, and then I was tired of watching her drink herself to sleep. Honestly, that's what brought me in. Uh, I was tired of fighting with her. We were in a hotel off the south side to extend stay. And I was tired of fighting with her. And then I was watching her drink herself to sleep every night. And I was like, are you ready to go to AA? Because me being codependent didn't just go on my own. You yeah, know what I mean? I had to make sure she was ready to go. And she had this crazy dream where she got scared straight. And I was like, are you, I saw my opportunity. I was like, are you ready to go? She's like, yes, if you take me, you know, she was at work. She's like, if you take me, I'll go tonight. So I took her over to like, we we're going to go to the Arlington group but it was like look really sketchy and she was freaking out so then i gps another place and i saw i was like okay this place is out by the beach <laughs> yeah i took her to penman yeah and i've been we've been we have both been sober ever since yeah uh we're not together anymore right. thank god yeah. <laughs> and now i can grow i yeah. can breathe and i can grow and hopefully she can do the same yeah Man, like the one thing I think about all the time is the new drug that we, like, I still haven't stopped thinking about when you said the best thing for you is when you're sponsoring another guy because mm -hmm. you're out of yourself. And that's almost like how you chase a drug. Um, and it's funny because I just recorded a post on the way here today. Yeah. And that's exactly what I said. And it was because I was on someone's podcast and I was sharing that, you know, I know what it's like to be selfish self-centered only think about me it doesn't feel good no matter whether i have a drug or i have money in my pocket it doesn't feel good mm -hmm. so that's why today i just want to bring value to one more person because the truth is is you know my first sponsor would meet me sunday at nine o'clock every single morning he didn't have to do that yeah in recovery we'd say he did to stay sober but i knew this man was like in his eyes he wanted me to to, to the light to turn on and the light turned on, but without him thinking, if he would have thought of himself, I mean, he would have just went to bed and woke yeah. up early, mm -hmm. but he was thinking about another person and it saved, I, I know it saved my life. And now I'm like, it's almost like that chain reaction is, is how do I wake up every day and say, God put somebody in front of me that I can help. And I'm still a human. Yeah. I'll wake up sometimes and not pray that prayer oh, and yeah. be on sneakers app or <laughs> yeah. be, be on stock X and say, mm -hmm. what, what shoes are there today? Mm -hmm. And I promise you, I can, I can complete so many tasks that day. I can do so much in business and make so much money that day. But when I go home, something's different about me yeah. and my wife's in recovery. So she notices, you oh, know, yeah. and anytime I'm just stuck in myself and which is a great, I mean, I'm looking at time. It's a great way to end it. But it, when we're anybody, whether it's recovery or not, I think nowadays everybody's like, what can I do for me? You know, what can I do for me? I got to get this. I got to get that. And I, I believe it is the opposite. I believe it's what can I do for somebody else? Just one thing. Do something someday for somebody else. If you can talk to people every day and hear what they're going through and just try to help them. The good thing about me is I'm not wrapped up in my, and then my issues become insignificant, you know? Yes. 
Exactly. It's it's carrying the message and, and getting getting the word out there that there is there is hope, recovery is possible, and helping other people. And I can't because of what I post on Facebook, I post it to spread the message, but also be transparent. I can't tell you how many people have messaged me or like how you do it or thank you for posting what you do. I've got this this many years sober. I've done this or I just got into recovery and I picked up my my red chip or or I've got this many years because you carried the message to me before. I got one guy. That, that tells me that he's like, bro, I got into AA because of you, you know, and, and that's the blessing here is to yeah. be able to carry the message and help change people's lives. But that's not normally who I am. That's like, as we say, allowing God to work through me. Yeah. And that's the blessing. That's the miracle to have the sponsees. I just want to watch the lights turn on to somebody's eyes. And I've got a life today better than I've ever had. Uh, even in recovery, better than I've ever had this year is better than the two years and better than the one year. And I believe if I stay on this path, I'll have a better life than I can imagine. But it's, I have to always do what I'm doing today. Yeah, dude, that's awesome, bro. Well, in the last 30 seconds, um, what is one thing that you would share with everybody? If, if somebody's listening right now that maybe is stuck, whether it's addiction or it's something else, and they feel like, man, Aaron, that's great that you made it out, but I don't know about me. You know, they may be listening to this. What is something you would tell that person right now that's listening that is stuck? If I can do it, you can do it, and you got nothing to lose. You know what I mean? Like, there's misery out there, and the and the way that you're living clearly isn't working. Like, take a leap of faith and try it. If it works for me, it can work for you. I promise. Man, that's awesome, bro. Well, dude, this was great, man. I love this. I love getting to know you even yeah. more, man. This is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, have fun. Uh, hopefully, everybody that listened, you got something out of it. I know I did. Uh, if you did enjoy this podcast, please like it. You can share it. You know, share it with somebody who may need to hear it, whether they're in recovery or not. I definitely think people just need to hear some of these things and to help them find a better version of themselves. Again, thanks for letting us share. Hey.